Today we are focusing on the third of James Luther Adams' fifth stone, smooth stones of religious liberalism, stating religious liberalism affirms the moral obligation to direct one's effort toward the establishment of a just and loving community. It is this which make the role of the prophet central and indispensable in liberalism, end quote. I admit there were several words in the statement that gave me pause. Obligation, community, love. Obligation. Beyond the immediate denotation of this word, I could too quickly go to the connotations with the responding obligation means, I have to do that, or often said by kids, we got to do that. But we all have several levels of obligation and experience hesitancy to maybe to accept more. Or are you one who innately just questions authority? Some obligations we accept almost unconsciously, some grudgingly, and some with great passion. Another prime word in this is community. Many of our existing obligations serve ourselves and our immediate families, such as those activities of daily living that just facilitate our basics. Those basics take up much of our time and energy. However, JLA is urging us out of that circle and to other communities at all levels. He advises, and I quote, the holy thing in life is participation in those processes that give body and form to universal justice, end of quote. This reminded me of the, um, our rituals of joy and concern this year where we began to hold up, as we did today, our immediate fellowship community and then broaden out to the Fox Cities, the region, the state, the nation, and then the wider world. Such are our moral obligations to a just and loving community existing at so many levels, but open to our own definitions of community. One of my lifelong lessons is that of finding and maintaining some level of balance in activity. I am compelled to be of service. And I don't hold this up to say what a great person I am or that I'm probably continuing to justify my existence here. My lifelong mission statement, to love and to learn, has at times driven me to feel like I am never doing enough. I can think of a number of pressing social justice issues that I struggle with, trying to discern whether I am doing enough and question how do I want to spend this one wild and precious life. One of the insights I recently received was a way to think about personal levels of commitment as being able to be content in one's own life without being complacent content without complacency. This came from a recent journey circle session with, uh, focused on awakening. Without breaking confidentiality, the covenant of the circle, I will tell you that the circle shared some insights on today's topic. 
I will also use this moment to highly recommend your participation in a fellowship journey circle if you've not done one or even if you have, if you've not accepted this opportunity. One of the members expressed some very real dismay that even when you dedicate so much time and energy, sometimes over years of community work, the problem may still continue to worsen. This member demonstrated one of the points that JLA says, quote, not that it demands no wounds. This gen dismay generated great empathy. And I also uh, think a reminder that when we commit to making a more just and loving community, it is just that, our peace that promotes transformation. Using our affirmative power of love to transform life. I especially appreciated the use of the word loving community as a part of this worthy stone. Not all people value love as a significant or powerful enough change agent. Rachel Kahn in her poem, What to Tell the Children, says, Tell them that love will win this war, but only if we remember that love is not just one unending cuddle puddle, but as fierce as a mother bear protecting her cubs, end of quote. Love is powerful and fires for us when we choose to put our resources where we put our faith in action. We are channels of the power of the universe and the hands on this earth that provide the love, energy, and passion that fire movement toward justice with love. I will close with one of the companion pieces from our Life's Journey Circle uh, packet. It's a YouTube clip uh, from Dead Poet Society, you probably remember some of it, where Robin Williams' professor character inspires his class with this. That you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? They say that preachers have one sermon that they say over and over again. I might venture to say that I have two or three. Tom Pennenberg, who's a member here, he and I used to have this ongoing joke. He would arrive early to service. He'd say, good morning, Rev. What's the sermon about today? And I'd say, community and love, Tom, because that's basically it. Spoiler alert. But I do have two other sermons that I find important and necessary, perhaps for myself, which is why I need to share them with you so often. The first is, and I hope you have heard me say this over and over, is you are enough. Enough just as you are, worthy and good and deserving of love and care. The other sermon is, and this is what this whole sermon series is about, is <clears throat> Unitarian Universalism is a thing. 
that's the second sermon. Perhaps because I grew up attending fundamentalist Christian churches, perhaps because I know many of you also grew up in other faiths, perhaps because Unitarian Universalist identity is less clear-cut than many others, I find the need to remind us that Unitarian Universalism is, in fact, a thing. It's its own thing. It's not just some conglomeration of other religions or other people's things. It's not just common sense or being a good person. It is a whole real thing with history and heritage and heroes, theology and commitments. And if we are bothering to be here today, then I'm assuming that we care what this thing called Unitarian Universalism has to offer us and what we might have to offer in return. So we've been exploring the five smooth stones of religious liberalism as articulated by the 20th century UU theologian and writer, Reverend James Luther Adams, or JLA as he was affectionately known. The five smooth stones, so named because of the stones that armed David against the giant Goliath in the Hebrew Bible, are seemingly simple statements that we can keep close by in our pocket for use when responding to the forces of violence, fear, and power. These were written in the 1970s, well into Adam's career, and the Unitarian Universalist principles, which we now call our seven principles, but at that time were not seven yet, those principles had already begun to be articulated when he articulated these five smooth stones, religious liberals love lists. The first of the smooth stones is, as a reminder, revelation is continuous. We acknowledge that truth is ever unfolding. We are always learning new truths, and we must change and adapt to those as new revelations come. That is a hallmark of liberalism. The second is that relationships ought to rest on free mutual consent and not coercion. And one way that we name that free consensual relationship and community is as covenant. The fifth stone that was covered last week out of order on Easter by Minister Alley is that the resources, both divine and human, that are available to us justify an attitude of ultimate optimism or hope. Next week, we'll look at number four, which says that we, quote, deny the immaculate conception of virtue, and we affirm the necessity of social incarnation, which in other words means good things don't just happen, people make them happen. And today's smooth stone is number three. And it connects in many respects to the one I just named next week's because it is about the need for an active faith. The third smooth stone of religious liberalism as articulated by James Luther Adams is we affirm the moral obligation to direct one's effort toward the establishment of a just and loving community. It is this which makes the role of the prophet central and indispensable in liberalism. So just as a reminder, 
James Luther Adams, early in his theological career, spent some time in Germany as a sort of friendship building and exchange exercise. And at that time, Nazis were coming to power. And he witnessed firsthand the futility of the church in standing against that rise. He witnessed his own beloved liberal faith with all its high-minded ideas unable to do anything about the horrific rhetoric and actions that he was witnessing. JLA began affiliating with the German Confessing Church, which was a group of pastors, primarily Lutheran, it was Germany after all, who resisted Nazi interference into church matters and theology. The Nazis were demanding that the church align its teachings with Nazi ideology. And many of the churches did do that. But the Confessing Church, led by theologians such as Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, resisted the anti-Semitism and the molding of God and Christ into this conformity with Nazi, Nazi ideology. Many Confessing Church pastors were imprisoned. Many died, including Bonhoeffer in a Nazi concentration camp. But even still, after World War II, many of these pastors wrote publicly of their guilt and repentance for not resisting the social effects of the Nazi party more forcefully, that they had focused more on the internal matters of the church. So when Adams refers to the moral obligation to direct our efforts toward the establishment of a just and loving community, he means it. He had witnessed the devastating effects of a silent faith that did not put its moral obligations toward justice and loving community. Love and community, Tom, am I right? One of the phrases that James Luther Adams uses in describing this need for directing our efforts is that it is that which makes the role of the prophet central and indispensable in liberalism. Now, if you grew up Lutheran, or even if you didn't, Lutheranism is everywhere around here, you might know Martin Luther's phrase, the priesthood of all believers. That phrase was part of Martin Luther's response to what he saw as the rigid Catholic hierarchy of his time and the need for all people to have access to God, all believers, not just the ordained priesthood. But James Luther Adams, writing a few centuries later, expanded that idea beyond the priesthood, beyond belief and access to God, to the need for commitment, action, and upending power structures, the prophethood of all believers. One of James Luther Adams' books is called The Prophethood, the Prophethood of All Believers. I highly recommend it if you have insomnia. <laughs> JLA is very dense. He's amazing, but very dense. The prophets of the Hebrew Bible make up a lot of JLA's writings. People like Elijah, Micah, Amos, among others. These were often people that the world saw as outsiders, outcasts, weirdos. They would 
through their connection with God, they would proclaim the ways that humanity was falling short of God's commandments or God's vision for the world. And they would encourage people to get right. The prophets often spoke strangely or in metaphor or in ways that frightened people. But their messages were important. They were needed in keeping God's people on the path of justice. And this is what JLA is speaking of when he says the prophethood of all believers. The need for each of us to take on that role, not just of priesthood and believing the right stuff, but prophethood, speaking up and acting out for the right stuff, even if people call you a weirdo. One story that has been relayed many times throughout the years is of James Luther Adams at his own church. It was the first Unitarian Church of Chicago on the south side where Adams was working at Meadville Lombard Theological School. It was the 1940s and first Unitarian, like all churches of that time, was segregated by race. Only white members could join the church. But the minister there had begun preaching uh, radically on racial equality and for the people, rights of people of color. Many in the congregation were very uncomfortable with this, and they spoke against the preacher's sermons. At a board meeting one night, where JLA was present as a board member, those of you here in our board, just be glad JLA is not on our board. I just can't imagine what that would have been like. JLA was on this board and a conversation came up about the minister's sermons and what they should do about it and whether they should allow, in this case, black members. One man in particular was opposed. He said, this is, this is political. This is not religious. This is not why we are here. JLA is remembered as having asked the question, what is the purpose of this church? And then the debate would continue and he would ask again, what is the purpose of this church? More debate, more argument, long into the night. What is the purpose of this church? Finally, late into the night, the man who had been most opposed answered Adams in frustration. I suppose, he said, the purpose of this church is to get a hold of people like me and change us. First Unitarian Church of Chicago was, was the first, or maybe one of the first, of the churches in that area to racially integrate. The prophethood of all. In the reading we heard earlier, James Luther Adams ends with, quote, freedom, justice, and love require a body as well as a spirit. We do not live by spirit alone. A purely spiritual religion is a purely spurious religion. It is one that exempts its believer from surrender to that sustaining, transforming reality that demands the community of justice and love. For Adams, that sustaining, transforming reality is what he calls God. Whether you believe in a supernatural God, a personal God, or whether your definition of God is perhaps closer to James Luther Adams, a sustaining, transforming reality. And he says that we are called by that force, obligated, in fact, 
to create a community of justice and love. It's not enough to say the right prayers. Or if you're not the praying type, it's not enough to say the right slogans or to post the right things on Facebook. The third smooth stone says we are obligated by our liberal religious faith to direct our effort toward a just and loving community. Now, he does not say, please hear me here, he does not say that we alone have to be responsible for creating the end result of justice. That would be impossible. And trying would only lead to frustration, guilt, and exhaustion. But as is stated in the Jewish Mishnah, you are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. Many people come to Unitarian Universalism because of our commitment to justice. Many were attracted when this fellowship and our ministers were active in the fight for marriage equality several years ago, performed weddings for same-sex couples down at the courthouse. The Black Lives Matter banner angered some and attracted many. Our public commitment to serving as a sanctuary congregation and supporting our undocumented and asylum-seeking neighbors has been a reason why some new members have come here. But why we support these causes is not always made clear. Working for social justice is not the replacement for our theology. It is the outcome of our theology. In other words, say it with me, Unitarian Universalism is a thing. Thank you. And it is a thing that calls us, both in our seven principles and in these five smooth stones, to assist in the creation of a just and loving community. Yesterday, many of our members and friends were here in this building, along with others from our community, celebrating the accomplishments of the two asylum-seeking families who we have worked with for the last two or more years to support. It was a time of food, conversation in more than one language, children playing all over the building and joy. One of the families is moving away to be closer to family next week, so it was also a chance to say goodbye. These families have worked so hard to make independent lives for themselves here in our community, and they are succeeding. And they are also deeply appreciative of the support that this congregation has given them as they did that work for themselves. The relationships formed between the members of our congregation, those supporting these efforts, and these wonderful, beautiful families was such a joy to be a part of yesterday. Creating a more just and loving community is not a burden. It is a calling toward deeper relationship and more expansive love. We might, as we heard in our call to gather earlier, we might be first spurred to action by suffering. After all, we too have suffered. But once we connect with these people whose suffering that we might be trying to ease, we find that those connections are more hopeful, joyful, and fun than the pain that initiated the relationship. As Unitarian Universalists, our call to justice is a call to relationship, to connection, and to the enlargement of the circle of love. 
This week was our national annual recognition of Earth Day, and our Green Sanctuary team, along with others in our community, have supported rallies downtown to encourage climate justice and indigenous rights for several weeks. They have been loyal out there, despite not great weather. In addition, that same team worked for years, and this year had our congregation awarded the UUA designation of Green Sanctuary. Yes, that designation shows our efforts that we have made to encourage, educate, and act for environmental justice, both within our congregation and in the wider community, particularly with our Menominee neighbors. Our faith calls us to that sort of justice making, to improve the conditions of earth, not just for ourselves or our own children, but for everyone impacted by the impacts of climate justice, climate crisis. So when someone asks, why do you support Black Lives Matter? Why do you want to help people who came to this country illegally? Why do you want to help people who have been imprisoned? Why do you care about that metal mine on the Menominee territory? Why? Because I am a Unitarian Universalist. And my faith tells me that I have an obligation to create a more just and loving community. We are called, as that poet Joe Davis said, to show up. I end with a bit more of the poem that Beth shared in her reflection, What to Tell the Children, by Rachel Kahn. Tell them love will win this war, but only if we remember that love is not just one unending cuddle puddle, but fierce as a mother bear protecting her cubs. Tell them that although this existence is damaged beyond repair, they must not despair. There is possibility, and we will willingly and willfully open ourselves to new ways of being, because the old way is not working, has never worked, and the world deserves better, and we're worth it. Amen. And may it be so.